United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. Fantastic show for you today because it includes Ian Barker, the Director of Coaching Education for United Soccer Coaches, and a special visit with David Baird from the Scottish FA talking about a new initiative that he's got going and, of course, the relationship United Soccer Coaches has with the Scottish FA. After that, we talked to Roy Gordon about the newly announced Roy and Terry Gordon Fund. Roy Gordon and Terry Gordon Special People to the association and we wrap it up by meeting yet another member of the United Soccer Coaches 30 under 30 class, Shelby Spalding. And it begins after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. I am Dean Linky, kicking off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap with Ian Barker, the Director of Coaching Education for United Soccer Coaches. And really, Ian was right there with me the entire digital convention. Ian, it was a great time. And as we reflect a month later, what are your thoughts on how the digital convention went? Well, I think the voice medium is kind of for some of our public than having to see my face. Your extreme good looks, Dean qualified for camera work, but, but I'm more of a voiceover guy. I really enjoyed the digital convention. I was very, very grateful for you steering me through, hand-holding me through the aspects of live television, basically. I would never have been able to do that if you hadn't been there. So I'm very grateful to you for that. I think all of us were very pleasantly surprised. It was executed as well as it was. We had good hopes, but it was, I think it probably exceeded our expectation. And I think more importantly, the feedback from the attendees was very positive, both direct feedback and social media. And I know that among that was 550 coaches from Scotland as part of their UEFA A and B license was sent to our convention. So we got a lot of good publicity and follow up from our Scottish brethren. And then my colleagues, Andy and Greg with the Scottish Football Association have recently enrolled another 300 coaches in the convention to supplement their UEFA A and B education. Once again, Ian Barker, the master of the segue as Ian Barker will go one-on-one -on -one off the top with a very special guest from the Scottish FA. With that, Ian Barker, I turn over the reins to you as I know they're in good hands and I look forward to your special guest. Okay, thank you, Dean. So welcome everybody to the podcast. In 2019, I traveled to Scotland with some uh, US-based coaches and we took the Scottish Football Association C license as part of our program so that coaches could access UEFA B and A with the Scottish Football Association. One of our instructors that day was a young man called David Baird, and David is joining me from Scotland today. So David, welcome and thank you for joining us. Hi Ian, uh, hi Dean, thanks for having me on today. So David, you're full-time with the SFA. 
your primary role is in the women's and girls side. So can you talk a little bit about that and then explain what you've been doing in the education space during this particular pandemic time? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I've been with the Scottish FA since 2018, um, initially in a football development officer role, uh, which is essentially about trying to increase participation and performance in football, growing the game, knocking down barriers, trying to do as much as we can within that base. And then it was only in kind of summer 2020 where I moved into a role in the girls and women's game, which is obviously a massive area of uh, development within the country. So thoroughly enjoying that and trying to increase participation participation in, in female football. I know we spoke off air that I've got this dual role as a coach educator as well uh, with the Scottish FA, um, which is essentially um, mainly for myself, it's the entry level coaches, you know, it's the recreational and the volunteer coaches trying to give them as much support as possible uh, as they start and continue their their coach education journey. Um, and given the, the world that we've been living in for the last year, um, that's something that we've We've been doing a lot of kind of virtually and digitally uh, utilising platforms to, to do as much coach education as we can, you know, breaking down those barriers. So thoroughly enjoy working with Scottish FA. Uh, you know, I'm a, a UFA licensed candidate myself and, and I was part of your fantastic convention and I've got a lot of feedback on that. So, um, yeah, it's a real kind of honour to be on the show today. What has been your experience with Scottish coaches working in the digital or virtual space this last year? Have you found that they're enjoying it, you're getting good pickup, or are you finding it's um, a greater challenge than you anticipated? What's been the experience with, with coaches at home? Well, my anticipation, um, I was maybe a little bit apprehensive about it initially and, and maybe having the belief that it would be difficult to, to coach educate digitally uh, and I would always prefer to be on the grass coach educating. But having been in that space and doing it for a year now, it's kind of blown me away, to be honest. I'm seeing so many positive things that have came out of it, but particularly for myself that focuses a lot on the entry-level courses. I think we've knocked down barriers by people being allowed to coach educate or at least start their coach education journey from the comfort of their own home. We're getting a lot more people coming on the courses that, you know, maybe would be apprehensive about traveling to a facility um, and they're not sure if they have the, the confidence or the capabilities uh, to coach. And by being able to do the initial steps in the process online and, you know, maybe taking away some of those apprehensions and making them understand that sometimes at the entry-level positions it's, it's actually just about being a facilitator of football and being able to organize good activity and allow children to play football I think we've sparked a lot of passion within coaches that when we can get back onto the grass they'll come out and they'll do their level two or they'll do their license courses and um, the, the feedback's certainly been been great and we're getting a lot of feedback that that I didn't even you know consider normally when we do the grasses physically and sometimes it can be tough to take the information on board when you're physically doing the drills or you, you get engaged as a player. And some of the coaches that have actually done both, you know, they've done some of our courses on the grass and some of our course, courses uh, digitally are saying, I actually really enjoyed that because I could sit and I could take notes. You know, we record the video, we send the presentations out um, and they can take the feedback on board um, a little bit more. So I, I think it's been a great success and I'm, I'm blown away. You, you mentioned Andy and Greg and, and the way they quickly turned around to put things online and, and keep people engaged at a really difficult time. You know, when, when the, the public here and, and no doubt around the world needed things to keep their mind engaged and, you know, social aspects of speaking to other coaches, it's been, it's been fantastic, to be honest, Ian. Now, in the UK, traditionally, a lot of coach educators, a lot of the associations have bemoaned the lack of women coaches coming into the coaching education pathway and have talked about doing better things to achieve more engagement of women coaches. Has this last year, have you noticed any uptake in women coaches coming into the coaching education programs? 
Yeah, and, and that's just, you know, one group that I think there's been a, an increased uh, participation in um, is the, the the female coaches. And again, they, they, they might be, and, you know, I'm not saying everybody's like this, but there may be some females that don't want to travel to a facility and um, they're surrounded by, you know, 15 or 16, you know, males that played at a good level and are smashing footballs around. And that can be a, a tough situation. So the amount of female coaches that have came on to our digital coach, uh, coach education courses has been uh, certainly uh, certainly an increase. Um, and it allows us as, as well, you you know, we have done uh, female-only coach education courses over Zoom, so when they're in breakout rooms and uh, they can speak and feel a, in a bit of a more comfortable space. Um, so, no, I think that's been one of many uh, pros that have came out of uh, the digital coach education. Just um, somewhat tangentially, the, the fact that the Scottish women got to the World Cup, did mm. that, you know, prior to the pandemic and you working in the women's and girls' side of the game, did the World Cup qualification have an impact in the women's game in Scotland as well? Absolutely, yeah. I think um, just having those, you know, positive female role models on the TV and showing how, you know, phenomenally talented they are uh, really engaged a lot of uh, young female footballers. Um, just the way, you know, when I, when I was a young player and I was watching the, the men's teams at, at World Cups, obviously I'm talking about years gone by, um, you know, that inspired me to get into the game. Um, and, we, and we have some great characters in the in the girls and women's game and, and having them getting that exposure and being on interviews and playing the game and we were able to tie some of them in with our soccer centres and, and, you know, name some of our soccer centres after, you know, the Claire Emsleys and the Jen Beatties and things like this. Um, and, and I think it was a big part. It was certainly something I got asked within my my interview for the, the role in the girls and women's game. You know, how are we going to capitalise on this? Because there's a, a real increased interest um, from the female population here in Scotland, which is which is great. I'm just going to make a quick plug here for getting a hold of you or getting a hold of me. Many people on the podcast can find me at United Soccer Coaches through my email and various other ways to get a hold of, of me. But for David, it is Twitter is the best way right now, which is at Coach David Baird, B-A-I-R-D. And we'll, we'll plug that again a little bit later. But David is at Coach David Baird on Twitter. And if you'd like to get a hold of David after this and, and you can't find him, contact me and I can make the connection. Because the main reason we got you on, David, was to talk about a little additional initiative you're working on parallel to your work with the SFA or outside of it a little bit. And this is a program for real um, intense engagement of the grassroots, right? The most humble levels of the game that sometimes in our ivory covered towers of, of coaching education with FAs and the United Soccer Coaches, we forget there are people right down there in, in the most humble of environments with humble equipment. So do you want to talk a little bit about the scoreboard soccer kind of innovation that you're working up? Absolutely. Um, so scoreboard soccer, I guess I'll just initially start by saying that, you know, it's just a, a practice design. It's just a tool that, that some of your listeners might engage in um, if they're looking for um, something a bit different. You know, everyone will be familiar with, you know, rondos and condition games and game related practices and, and fitness exercises. Scoreboard soccer is just something else that, that coaches may add to their their tools um, to, to deliver. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, again, we've talked about this digital world that we're living in and, and doing it over Zoom and, and all these kind of things. And that's what really brought scoreboard soccer to, to a wider audience because I've been coaching this way for probably five or six years now, uh, delivering what's now become known as scoreboard soccer. And it was actually during a time of a national lockdown when I was trying to keep myself sane, um, that I was you know, making calls and doing webinars and, and speaking over a digital platform. And as I started to explain the concept, which you know yourself means a very simple concept, that's when it started to get a little bit of traction and, and, and people were telling me, you know, this is, 
we've done it with the players and they really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, can you share some of these session plans? So I guess I'll start just by saying to any of the listeners who are interested in, and I know you've said via Twitter, or I'm happy to share my, my email on my Twitter account and things like this. I'm happy to share the resources and the games and, and hopefully hopefully I'll get some positive feedback from your listeners because it's a very new concept, as you know. A lot of the content you've been working up mirrors some of the work we've done with what used to be here, the National Youth Licence. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to adopt with United Soccer Coaches the National Youth Diploma, certainly looking at six and under, eight and under, ten and under, but also just concepts of, of engagement for, for all players. On David's Twitter feed are examples of the training activities he's recommending with animation so you can see them pop to life. But some of the things, David, I liked, I like the notion of gamification, which is kind of a big topic right now in, in the development of, of um, youth activities. We have a little bit of blowback here where people say soccer is a problem because everybody gets a prize. Mm-hmm. Um, but your program isn't about everybody getting a, a trophy, but you're quite intentional about how you decide what achievement is, right? And I think you talked to me a little bit about praising effort or praising relative to the player's physical and technical abilities. Can you talk a bit about that? So hopefully throughout the duration of this conversation, I can I can bring to life what a, a scoreboard soccer session or a scoreboard soccer uh, game looks like. So, um, yeah, we spoke about gamification there. And, and you know, I'm a massive um, advocate for a, a games-based approach and, and letting the players learn by, by playing the game. Um, but I do think there's some barriers to development there in regards to some players getting the, the lion's share of the ball when some players not engaging and, and things like this. And so as you've touched on there, Ian, scoreboard soccer just adds an extra dimension to that in regards to, you know, praising players where they are on their on their journey. So if I was to describe what scoreboard soccer is, it's a small-sided game of football, for example, uh, but we kind of run an activity alongside that works as a, a motivational tool. So one of the scoreboards we have, for example, is, you know, beat the goalie. You know, kids quite like beat the goalie and they, they, they take a penalty kick or whatever. And having that fun activity running parallel to the game, we can use that as a motivation for whatever it is the coaches want to, to see their, their kids doing or their players doing within the game. So, you know, if you want to praise a, a good dribble or if you want to praise a good shot or there's some communication or there's a, um, a demonstration of resilience, you know, as a coach, you can say, well done, Ian, you know, come across the scoreboard. Um, and I'm sitting in front of you today and, and you know, kind of almost preaching this approach because... It's something I see that the, the kids absolutely love. They, they really, really enjoy it. And there's something about this idea of, um, you know, the, the scoreboard or the, the activity that, that rewards um, positive play or positive behaviours that they're really, really buying into. And I hope your coaches will, will find the same when they when they do it. But yeah, you've touched on there. It's it's the idea of, sure, you can use it to, to praise dribbling and passing and shooting, but you may actually have some values that, that you really... Um, you know, put a lot of value on as a coach or as a club or, or you know, as a, as a program. Um, so you might be big on sportsmanship. You might be big on respect, communication. Um, and it, the more you praise these behaviours, uh, the more likely the, the players are obviously to, to try and demonstrate these behaviours. You know, I can I can obviously say for from experience, you know, when I'm saying, uh, oh, say that that was a great pass with inside of the foot, come across the scoreboard, you can see the motivation and the um, the real burning desire for her to go and dis- display those behaviours again. Um, and as I say, if, if any coaches come on my Twitter feed and, and they want the session plans, we've got Beat the Goalie and Crossbar Challenge. We've got some really fun scoreboards um, that, that the players have designed um, and hopefully the concept itself. Sounds a lot like the video games, that the, the, there's the main game, 
And if you achieve something, you get taken to a little micro game just as an appetizer, and then you come back to the main game. So if I'm visualizing a scoreboard soccer session, it could be a 4v4 with no goalies, mm -hmm. and any kind of achievement that the coach chooses to award out of that, the kid comes out of the game briefly and goes and takes a penalty kick or goes and tries to hit the crossbar or does a completely fun kind of, it's like an award, right? You get like a little, you get a side activity. Is that basically what we're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. You've hit the nail on the head and the coaches obviously still have complete control of the game environment. Is it 4v4 plus one? Is it goalies? Are you playing with the offside rule? You know, coaches still have complete autonomy over what works for their players. And they also have complete autonomy. Obviously, I can, I can share some scoreboard suggestions. But over the scoreboard, you know, with the younger ones, um, you know, we've done the egg and spoon race for a bonus point. You know, they, they come over and they, they try not to drop the egg off the spoon as they do a, a lap between two cones or whatever it is. For the older players, when we're, we're utilising small-sided games as a, a kind of pre-season fitness tool, the scoreboard could be a free kick. So we have a wall of mannequins set up and we have a goal and we have a ball. And if they could put it over the mannequins and then the goal, then then that's a, a point. So, um, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's all about um, praising those those positive behaviours and, and using the scoreboard as a, an extra tool to, to motivate your players to stay engaged and work hard within the game. Yeah, so in this particular example, it always occurs to me that very often the young players, they know who are the strongest athletes and who are maybe the mm -hmm. most technical. So they don't, they don't get too upset about that. They know, they know how that works. But what you're able to do here is, is take a child, maybe a little bit less experienced, a little bit physically behind, yeah. identify a challenge for them, something within the game that they can aspire to doing, maybe not scoring the goal, but then they get this opportunity to go and do the little micro game on the side, right? Yeah, it's a great opportunity. It's a great environment to, to praise the process and praise effort. And, and when your young players realise that, you know, effort's what you value over the actual outcome, that's what they'll give you over the weeks, over the months, and hopefully over the years, um, and the outcome will come uh, at, a later, uh, at a later date. And it's funny you speak about that player that, you know, maybe as a little bit more experienced and a little bit more talented. I think as coaches, we all maybe have them, you know, a, a big mix of ability levels. I can say as a coach educator, it's a question we get a lot, or maybe it's a, a complaint we get a lot. You know, my session didn't go very well because I've got a big mix of ability levels. And I'm saying, you know, rightly or wrongly, well, that's coaching. You know, I find it very hard to find, um, a, you know, a session where you don't have a mix of ability levels. So if you're coaching Barcelona, you know, Messi's certainly better than, than Samuel Umtiti. So, you know, there is a big mix of ability levels. Um, so that player who can dribble past everybody and score every time, it's funny, we're going right back to the start of scoreboard soccer where it was just a creative way to momentarily get that player off the pitch to share the ball a little bit. Because as a coach, I would never want to coach that out of the player. You must play two touch or you must pass the ball before you score. I actually want to embrace that and I want to praise that. So if Ian dribbles by everybody and scores, I'm saying, Ian, fantastic, come to the scoreboard, You know, try and knock over that cone for a bonus point and then come back on the pitch. Now, Ian is momentarily off the pitch and we can share the ball uh, just a little bit more. But I think the point you're getting at as well, Ian, which is, uh, you know, for, for David, who maybe can dribble by everybody and score, but needs to work on those attributes, he gets on the ball, he displays confidence to try and dribble. And you're saying, I love that you've tried that, regardless of whether he's successful or not. You're praising the fact that they're staying involved because some players are coming along because they love soccer and, that, and a games-based approach will keep them engaged. But some might be coming along because they're trying to decide if they love soccer. 
you know, an idea of the game is fun, but the idea that, you know, if they do, if they work hard within the game and they get to come and do a beat the goalie, that might be a little bit uh, more of a of an attractive situation for them. So in the, in the couple of minutes we've got left, I just want to explore something you talked about briefly there. In this country, I believe that one of the challenges the grassroots coach is to get the attention of the young athlete and then hopefully give a good job to keep them in our sport because there are so many different distractions and different opportunities yeah. in different sports. And I think sometimes in America, we assume that everybody just plays soccer in Scotland and that's the only thing to do. But I, I think it's the case, is it not, that you're starting to be very conscious about creating retention, right, and keeping the kids in the sport. Yeah, very conscious of it, particularly after the, the COVID-19 pandemic. I think when these kids come back to, to training, I think Soccer Circus, I'm hoping a lot of coaches will lean on it for those, you know, social, um, you know, aspects of teamwork and praise and respect and communication. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. If we talk about some of the options that, that the kids have, you know, they can they can come to your soccer practice or they can sit at home and they can, you know, play computer games and be on the iPhone. And I think one of the biggest attractions for, for young people um, is the autonomy they get within these worlds, being able to design the characters, design the, the spaceships, design the world sometimes that they're, they're living in. Um, and then if we come to soccer practice and it's all instructed by a coach, you must pass two touch, you need to pass and then you must run to that cone. Whereas in um, scoreboard soccer, there's a great opportunity for autonomy there. You know, right, design the scoreboard. Who's got a good idea of the of what you, you can do to get a bonus point? And they come up with some great ones. Right, you guys name the teams. Well, that was a great scoreboard. We need a name for it. Who's going to come up with the with the name? Um, and um, yeah, it's a great it's a great opportunity to 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 get to invest the the kids in the learning process, and that's what they like, and that's what will keep them coming back. And I know we're we're maybe running short on time, but scoreboard soccer was was initially designed just to be something that is really really good fun and that's what it was but then I started to see the other benefits of okay it's fun we can um, work on per people skills and teamwork communication resilience but then actually one of the biggest bonuses is you know we can coach within it as well uh, it creates some really realistic games-based scenarios because when that young player is at the scoreboard all of a sudden you've got a 4v3 attacking overload defending outnumbered it's not going to last long because there's a recovery run from the player coming back from the scoreboard. This transition, if you win the ball, you pass it up. So um, hopefully I've kind of lit a little bit of a fire underneath the, the coaches who are listening to, to come and see um, what what the, the wider content is all around. And not only how you can create these fun games-based, you know, reward the process environments, but how you can coach within them as well. So again, if people are interested in scoreboard soccer, some of these innovations around small-sided games and, and sub-games, if you will. Reach me at United Soccer Coaches or through Dean or David at Coach David Baird on Twitter. Last point from me, David, what you said there about how the, when the kids are on their smart devices playing video games, there's an incredible degree of autonomy. Mm -hmm. And then we go into a soccer environment, which sometimes can be very structured, and we sort of take away choice from them. That notion of choice and empowerment, I think, is a fascinating point that you make. And I'm sure many of the listeners, that can resonate a little bit, is can we, if, if video games are so attractive, mm -hmm. what is it we can put into an athletic environment that maybe has an element of a video game and that whole notion of gamification and empowerment? So I, I thought that was a really interesting point. Um, yeah. Really appreciate your time. And I'm hoping people get a hold of me or you and follow up with us because... Um, not only do I think that scoreboard soccer, which you introduced me to, has a, could have a really strong 
influence here. We've got more Scottish influences in our soccer, thanks to the convention and, and Andy and Greg too. So Dean, with that, I'm going to share it back to you. But David, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Yeah, speaking of thank yous, the thank yous go to you, Ian Barker, for leading this impressive discussion. And David Baird, love what you're doing. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and what you're working on as part of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSnap. Thank you, David. Thank you, Ian, for the discussion. It was great to be on. On February 24th, the United Soccer Coaches Foundation announced its newest fund, the Roy and Terry Gordon Fund named after the longtime University of Mary Washington head men's coach and his wife. And guess what? Roy Gordon will join me after these messages. Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. This is Dean Linky again, and I wanted to take a moment to salute all of the great people that made this year's United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention such a great success. I had the great honor of serving as one of the hosts, and it was one of the best weeks in soccer I've ever had. With that, while the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention might be over, you can still get involved as we're just getting started. You can still register to receive access to all session recordings and the digital convention platform. Chat with your soccer coaching community and take in top level presentations from coaches around the globe, all at your own convenience. To register and receive access, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. That's right, you can still register for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention and have access to all of the amazing presentations. I hope you can take advantage of the special offer. And again, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. On February 24th, the United Soccer Coaches Foundation was excited to announce its newest fund, the Roy and Terry Gordon Fund, named after the longtime University of Mary Washington head men's soccer coach and his wife. Roy Gordon has been an active member of the association throughout his coaching career. The fund, which is planned to be fully endowed by April 2021, will provide scholarships to the United Soccer Coaches annual convention for youth, assistant high school, or assistant college soccer coaches from the Virginia and Washington, D.C. area. As a head soccer coach who had no senior coaching mentor when he started his career, Gordon found the education opportunities provided by the association to be crucial to his development as a coach. Roy Gordon began his coaching career in 1970 at the University of Maine Farmington, where he became head coach of both men's soccer and baseball, in addition to assistant coach of men's basketball. During his time in Maine, he was instrumental in the establishment of the Maine State Soccer Coaches Association and was named the NAIA Area 8 Coach of the Year in 1974. After coaching in Maine, Gordon moved to Fredericksburg, Virginia in 1977, where he served with distinction and dedication for the next 34 years until his retirement in 2011. While at the University of Mary Washington, he founded two varsity athletic programs. In his first year at UMW, he founded the men's soccer program, followed by the men's tennis program in 1978. 
He also served as the advisor to the college women's soccer club from 78 to 82. During his tenure as the men's soccer coach, he led the team to eight Capital Athletic Conference championships and advanced to nine NCAA national tournament appearances, including a Final Four appearance in 97. His career one loss record was 432, 253, and 53. Gordon has been named to the UMW Athletics Hall of Fame, the DC Virginia Soccer Hall of Fame, and the Virginia Intercollegiate Soccer Officials Hall of Fame. A couple more nuggets on Roy Gordon as he started his active participation with the annual convention in 1985 when he helped secure high school players to serve as demonstrators for the event in Crystal City, Virginia. He served in many roles in the association thereafter, including convention program manager, administrator of the NSCAA Academy program, and association president. After serving on the board of directors, Gordon continued to work on the association's convention committee and served on the United Soccer Coaches Awards Committee. Gordon is a recipient of the Presidential Recognition Award and the association's honor award. Terry and Roy will celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary in August, 2021. Roy and Terry have two children, Ben, who is on the faculty at the University of Pittsburgh and Rebecca, an attorney living in Washington, DC, with her husband, Scott, and their son, Evan. The Roy and Terry Gordon Fund. And Roy Gordon joins me now. Roy, what an honor. And you talk about putting your money where your mouth is, your money where your heart is, probably better said. That's what this is, right, for you and your wife? Oh, absolutely. You know, I joined the association in 1970, got actively involved in the mid-80s, and have been actively involved since then doing convention work. You know, the education, to me, the education is the most important facet of the association's reason for being. You know, obviously, we do awards and we do networking and all that other stuff, but it really is all about making us better coaches and working with young people. And so it was important to me as the foundation has developed to participate in that and do what we can to help. You know, it's interesting, Roy. Actually, last night was the Golden Globes and Norman Lear at 98 years old Looks like he could still go. I understand he's not feeling well, but he talks about laughing and smiling will make you live longer. I mean, you look younger than me, which means that you lived a good life. And part of that good life is being able to give back. That's what you're doing here right now. I've been very fortunate. I was uh, very fortunate to get my first job as a full-time coach at a very young age. I fell into this program at Mary Washington relatively early in my career and have had a supportive administration so it made my life very easy. Okay, so this love for the association, when did it trigger for you, Roy? Do you remember a tipping point or did it just become one of those things that every year it got better and better for you? I became a member probably because most people become members. And I think the awards program is probably the catalyst for most people to become members. I mean, as a college coach, if you want your players to be recognized, you have to be a member. My college coach, and I had a year of playing under Tim Shum, who is a legend in the association. So he asked me if I wanted to get involved. And they were looking for somebody to direct the program for the convention. And I interviewed with Ron Broadbent, who sadly just recently passed away this year. And they offered me the position and I took it. And 
at that point, it was, you know, Katie, bar the door. I'm, I'm in it. Well, you're in it. And I like the little nugget that you're celebrating 50 years of wedded bliss. I admire that as somebody that's been married 26 years myself. I know I couldn't do it without my wife. I'm pretty sure you feel the same thing. I think it's really, really fantastic that it's not just the Roy Gordon Fund, that it's the Roy and Terry Gordon Fund. That's pretty awesome, Roy. First of all, it has to be. It's her money, too. <laughs> and and the other part of it is, you know, she's really been supportive of what I've done and my time away with the association. Nicely, she's been able to enjoy some of the relationships that I developed and then she has subsequently developed by coming to the convention. We've developed some wonderful friendships with other people who are heavily involved in convention work and in the association. As you know, I'm a Red Apron, so we're able to spend a lot of time with some the spouses and of the other Red Aprons as well. So, I mean, she's enjoyed my participation in the association probably almost as much as I have. I've done the work, she's had the fun. Yeah, exactly. And let's add on to that because I've been able to witness that. I've been able to witness it at the convention, but I will say, Roy, I witnessed it even more during the digital convention where almost nightly the Red Aprons were getting together and I would see you and Terry there with big smiles. And I'm sure a lot of the stories are stories that you probably even heard the night before, but the smiles were still there, right? I mean, those relationships are tight. I have to tell you, first of all, the association, Jeff Van Dusen, and everybody associated with it did a great job. I couldn't imagine what they were going to do with the virtual convention, but I mean, it was so well done. And then uh, Rob Robinson had the idea, and actually it was Mike Curry who had the idea of doing some Zoom meetings during the convention. And then uh, with he and Robbie facilitating it, we were able to get together on, I think, three or four nights. You know, these are friends that we try to get together with at various times during the year. There's a lot of Zooming and emails and texts going back and forth among several of us during the course of the year. The wives have gotten to know one another, and we've really become very good friends. And I count really a lot of those people as among my better friends. One of the things that I like about your fund is you tip your hat to assistant coaches. I try to spend time on this podcast making sure that the assistant coaches that are out there, particularly during this pandemic, it's not been easy, right? A lot of them have been furloughed. They've been trying to figure things out. Why was that part important to you, Roy Gordon? As you stated as, as part of the introduction, I got my first job directly out of graduate school, and I had not spent any time as an assistant soccer coach. I actually had been a baseball guy. I played a little bit of college soccer and actually more college baseball. In graduate school, I did some work as assistant baseball coach, as a JV coach at Springfield, and then uh, with a guy by the name of Arch Moore, we started a program at Western New England College. But when I started my soccer career at Farmington, I had never worked with a, another head coach in soccer. And so whatever learning I did, I either did on my own or through the educational programs of the National Soccer Coach Association. I also figure that many head coaches are supported by their institutions. Obviously, youth coaches, some are supported by their clubs, but many are not. Assistant high school coaches would pretty much be on their own. So I thought it was important to support people who would not otherwise have institutional support to be able to come to the convention. This question may be a little bit more difficult, and I'll give you time to soak it in and then give the answer. Obviously, now there are going to be young men, young women, don't necessarily have to be young, but somebody's going to benefit because of the Roy and Terry Gordon Fund. If you had the chance to talk to each and every one of the young men or women that are going to benefit from the fund, what would you like to say to them about why you did this? 
to give them an opportunity that they may not otherwise have had to experience the convention. My first convention was in St. Louis. I think it was 1972. It was, for me, the greatest thing since sliced bread. To be surrounded by just soccer folks and to be able to talk about the game and only the game and forget the social aspects of the convention, which I thoroughly enjoyed that weekend. I can't describe the experience. And I wanted to be able to return every year that I could. And sadly, there were a few years that we couldn't get there. But since sometime uh, mid-80s, I've been to every convention. I know you have, and you've been outstanding. You always take great care of me. I really appreciate that. And this is also going to be tough, but because Terry's name is on it, what do you think her message would be to every recipient of the Roy and Terry Gordon Fund? Because she comes at it from a different perspective. She's an educator. She was a a high school English teacher for her career. So I think her feelings would be pretty much the same as mine. Take advantage of the opportunity. Enjoy working with young people. When she retired, if she didn't have to do any administrative work, she probably would have continued to teach. But as you know, in in the modern day, teachers are doing a lot of other stuff. But working with young people was the most important thing to her. And so I think she would feel the same, same way that I do. As we wrap up our time with Roy Gordon, as the Roy and Terry Gordon Fund was announced just a couple weeks ago. If you listen to my podcast, Young or Old, I ask people the two M's, memories and mentors, with the understanding, Roy, that you might forget somebody because you've had this incredible run. So don't worry about that. But are there some key mentors that you definitely want to thank for getting you to this place where you can actually do this, create this fund for this association that is so dear to you? Well, I think there are two in particular. Obviously, Tim Shum, who um, I started at Binghamton the same year he did, actually, or he started the same year that I came in as a freshman. And obviously, um, his work with the association has been incredible. And the other is Rob Robinson. He was a longtime treasurer before he got involved in the board and then became convention manager. So when I got involved working on program, Robbie was... uh, incredibly involved with all other aspects of the convention. So he and I have become great friends. We were in Cincinnati preparing for a convention. And for some reason, it was just the two of us going out to a restaurant for dinner across the river. And I think it was in Covington, Kentucky. And we had um, dinner at a little Italian restaurant called The Boot. Of course, you know, Robbie, it had to be an Italian restaurant. (laughs) But we just had dinner and connected. And so the two of them are probably the the two most important people in my NSCAA United Soccer Coaches life. Let's end with this. And I will say that I feel blessed. I feel like I'm in a nice sweet spot. I'm right in my early 50s. I've always appreciated those that have paved the road for others. And then on the back end, I get to meet all these 30 under 30s and talk to them about their stories. So I feel like I am joining hands with the future of the association, which is just as important. And it's obviously important. That's why you created the Roy and Terry Gordon Fund. So with that, as we end, knowing that this is a legacy interview, in my opinion, originally it was NSCAA, now it's United Soccer Coaches. No matter what you call it, put into words the best you can what it means for you and what it's going to mean for the future, particularly those that will be the recipients of your fund. You know, the conventions and working on the conventions have been um, some of the best parts of my life. Obviously, it's, it's work, it's an effort, it's time away from family, 
but it was always so rewarding for what you were doing for others to create an environment, a learning environment, a networking environment, an awards environment that people truly enjoyed and could take something with them as they are um, progressing in their careers. And so I just hope that people get out of their experience with the association, all of the things that I have developed, great friendships, rewarding work, tremendous opportunity to learn, and just an opportunity to be with other good people. Roy, is there one more story you want to share? Well, do you want to know that uh, I coached uh, Tony DiCicco in JV baseball at Springfield? Of course do I do. you want to know that Mike Berticelli played for me in my first two years at, at Farmington? Yes. Do you want to know that um, actually a, a pretty good influence on my career was Jill Ellis's dad. He came to the United States to work with Annandale Boys Club and ultimately went to work with the National Capital Soccer League and uh, needed to create his revenue. So he came down to Mary Washington and developed his camps and started a program called Soccer Academy. And so I worked with John for uh, the better part of 20 years. Uh, Jill was on staff uh, at the camp, obviously, and uh, April Heinrichs, Mia Hamm, Amanda Cromwell were absolutely, it was absolutely incredible. And and John was a great guy to be around. I can see why Jill is such a wonderful coach following her dad's footsteps. He's great, great personality. Yeah, that's the part of uh, the association you love, right? Meeting all these incredible people, even before you're with the association, during and the entire time, right, Roy? Oh, yeah. The first thing they asked me to do, um, convention was uh, probably in Crystal City. And of course, Tim knew I was not far from Washington, D.C., they needed somebody to pick Andy Roxborough up. This was before, you know, in the early days, Dean, there were four people that ran the convention. There was uh, the part-time executive director, John McKean. Robbie Robinson was the treasurer. Whoever was the um, convention vice president. So the first year was uh, for me, Bill Holloman. And then the next two years was Peter Gooding. So Tim asked me to go to the airport and pick up Andy Roxborough at Dulles Airport. Now, I know how to get to Dulles Airport, but I don't know what Andy Roxborough looks like. I'm given a time and a gate and go pick up Andy Roxborough. Now, in those days, you could actually go to the gate. And so I go to the gate and I'm thinking, how do I find this guy coming off the plane? Well, here comes a fit looking guy in a tracksuit. And I say to myself, that must be him. Now, I wasn't smart enough in those days to bring a sign that says Andy Roxborough. So he walks off the plane. I pick him out. And he was as comfortable as an old shoe to talk to. It was absolutely incredible. And that that's the other fantastic thing about some of the personalities that I've met through the convention. The Brazil national coach Pereira, um, the guy was like your best friend in five minutes. I mean, that's these people are just such wonderful people to be with, to talk with. You begin to understand why they've made it so far in their lives and, and why they do so well, because they are most importantly, good people. And to put a camper on it, all those stories, and you've got a hundred more is just another reason why you wanted to create this fund, right? Because those memories mean so much to you. Well, that, and yeah. So the next, the next guy goes to the convention and he meets so-and-so and he makes contact with so-and-so and, -so and uh, it's, it's a big part of uh, what our life has been. Well, with that, I want to thank you again, Roy Gordon, Terry Gordon. Thanks for creating this fun. Real honor to be with you, Roy. Thank you, Dean. It's really been fun. It's a pleasure. It's always nice to talk about yourself, but uh, more importantly, uh, talk about something that gives back to somebody else because this has been so important to us. Roy Gordon, the Roy and Terry Gordon Fund. It kicks in in April. Thanks so much for all you've done for the association 
And thanks so much for creating this amazing fund. It's really fantastic, Roy. Appreciate you and all your work for the association. Thank you, Dean. You do a great job for us. Thanks. What a treat to spend time with Roy Gordon. When we return, we meet one more member of our 30 Under 30 class. Shelby Spalding is the 15th and final woman of this year's 30 Under 30 class to be on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. And Shelby Spalding joins us after this message. College coaches, make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for College Services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. We are talking to a lot of our great members of our 30 under 30 class. That includes Shelby Spalding, who is the assistant coach at Allegheny, which is a D3 school in Pennsylvania. I got to admit, Shelby, I didn't know there were a lot of Gators in Allegheny, but uh, nonetheless, you're called the Allegheny Gators, right? Yeah, yeah. We're a big fan of alliteration here. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that attitude. All right. Well, let's hear your story, where you grew up, where you studied and uh, your coaching path before you got to Allegheny, home of the Gators. Oh yeah. All right. Well, um, originally from Round Rock, Texas, which if you don't know, it's central Texas, just North of Austin, uh, only child. So, you know, grew up with my two biggest fans in my household kind of, uh, you know, got into club soccer there and, and enjoyed that. And that's honestly, uh, where I met, one of my mentors, uh, shout out to Janae Pukowski, um, wouldn't be where I'm at without her. Um, she actually got me started in my uh, coaching journey, my senior year of high school. So it was something where it's like, yeah, enjoy this, you know, impact a little bit of the little lives uh, in club soccer. And she asked me to volunteer with her team. And that's where I kind of fell in love with coaching and got a glimpse of that. From there, I went and played at uh, Howard Payne University, which is a D3 out of Brownwood, Texas. So going from just north of Austin to West Texas, uh, you know, just putting myself into a culture shock there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So played there, goalkeeper all four years. Um, While I was there, I got into um, South Texas ODP, um, thanks to Janae, um, and then met Jamie Mishu, who's another one of my mentors and actually a 30 under 30 alum. Um, nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I met I met with them and um, got involved in the South Texas ODP program and got to get a lot of experience of going to Region 3 camp, which to do as a collegiate player is a really awesome experience to go be an admin and be a part of that. So also while in my collegiate career, I um, pursued licensing when starting get get started on my licensing and um, get into coaching education. From there, Janae basically sat me down as like, so do you like want to pursue this beyond, you know, your playing career? Do you like actually want to be a coach? Is that something that you want to do? And I was like, yeah, honestly, I can see my, I just don't see myself, you know, doing a nine to five job and, and sitting at a desk all the time. And so she kind of walked me through that process of kind of what that would look like and got me in, interested in what a GA position would look like. Previous to this, I had no idea. 
uh, what a graduate assistant is or what they do. Um, at that point, I didn't even thought about getting a master's. I was just kind of like, well, you know, I got, I got a bachelor's degree. I'll figure it out. Right. So she talked me into that and was like, no, I mean, I really think you should pursue it and think about it. So then, uh, I actually graduated college, um, a semester early. So I got my undergrad nice. degree a semester early. So Dean, if you can imagine for six months, graduating early because coaching positions are uh, seasonal almost. Um, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, I haven't heard back from any positions. I don't know what to do. So I ended up moving back home. And for six months in hopes of of pursuing my coaching career, I worked retail. I folded (laughs) t-shirts at Reebok and sold lifting shoes. (laughs) You got to do what you got to do, right, Shelby? Right. Yeah. You got to do the hustle. And I was like, I want to be a coach. And um, if I have to be a little bit more patient and and try to uh sell some shirts at an outlet mall i gotta do what i gotta do um and whilst trying to stay relevant within odp and a little bit of the youth system (laughs) um you know finally came today that was offered my uh, ga position at concordia um, which was really cool because i got to stay close to home right i got to i got to stay with my two biggest fans who ended up (laughs) two of the biggest fans for concordia um (laughs) So, so a really neat experience of being able to, uh, coach within the conference that I just played in. Um, so getting to see that competitive level and, and see the, the players that are more than likely uh, played against on the field in goal, you know, being there, I learned a lot, um, kind of got my feet wet into coaching at the collegiate level and, and figuring that out and developing training sessions and getting full reign of uh, the goalkeeper side of things. Learning recruiting, going from a player to a coach is absolutely wild because you don't realize what a grind it is. And you're like, no, you're literally just spending hours watching players. So, (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I I really enjoyed that experience. I got my two years there, um, graduated with my master's. And then from there, it was just kind of like, I need to find that opportunity that's going to allow me to grow as a coach, allow me to grow as an assistant and uh, get more into what my coaching philosophy is and all that. And that's, that's kind of how I got this opportunity at Allegheny. And it's been a lot of fun because a lot of the things that I learned as a GA, I fully get to put in and make my own and kind of put sure. my own name on it. So I guess in a, in a quick synopsis, that's kind of my journey to this point. Well, you mentioned your journey just to be able to do this interview. You had to walk through snow, but even in your home state of Texas, they're getting crushed by snow. It's crazy over there. Yeah, it's actually absolutely nuts. And it's funny, my mom has been sending me picture updates and I'm like, that's been my every day for the last couple of months. But I understand, <laughs> I understand for y'all that it's, it's a little wild. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. Like, I've been looking at the same thing. I was like, that looks just outside my window. So it's been really crazy out there, uh, you know, urging my parents to stay at home, not go out and drive around and yeah, uh, my sure. family members and friends be like, please just stay home. You know, y'all don't know what it's like. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to make sure your parents are safe. Cause as you said, as an only child, it doesn't sound like you were spoiled at all. Shelby like it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I think I made it easy for them. They didn't have to pick a favorite. I just kind of existed. Yeah. So when you jumped in as a goalkeeper, we mentioned uh, you're only five foot five and yeah. some of my best friends are, are goalkeepers. I still keep in touch with Tony Miola, who I was with for a long time. And I worked with the women's team and, and goalkeepers got to be a little bit different, right? They got to be a little bit quirky. I, I like your personality. You got to be just a little bit different, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, that is just the kindest way of putting it. It's a little different, right? Yeah. I, I, I've heard a lot of different uh, ways of saying it, but yeah, I think to have the mentality of 
being the last line of defense, being the person that's willing to throw their body in between a, a foot and a goal. You got to be built different. <laughs> you got to be wired a little bit different, a little bit of that resiliency in there. But yeah, I, <laughs> I guess that does come out a bit in my personality where I'm like, yeah. Oh, I mean- no. And your personality is great, but also goalkeepers see the whole field. So I feel like because of that, they make great coaches, Shelby. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I think, you know, when I coach my own goalkeepers, uh, a big part of it is that communication side. Unfortunately, as human beings, we can't read each other's minds, right? And so instead of assuming we've got to be able to tell what we see. And I think the more that we're able to organize what's in front of us, the less likely we actually get a shot and have to do work as a goalkeeper. So you've got a master's of education in athletic administration. So that falls right in line with what you want to be as a coach, right? I mean, at the end of the day, that's educating young minds every day, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I know that's, that's a big part of my philosophy is that investment into the person that's also the athlete. But I think with that administrative side, I'm also have, able to have that understanding of that background of an athletic department and how I can contribute in different ways with that. Okay. I can tell you've listened to the show before because you were dropping names. I love name dropping. You were smoking the mentors for sure. So you covered that. How about your greatest memory as a player and your greatest memory in your young coaching career so far? As a player, you know, there's, there's few little moments that come up where, you know, like, oh, I've saved a PK before. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, I think a really cool moment from my senior year, it, just to preface, I was riddled with injuries my senior year. I had two head injuries. So do what you can with that. Um, I came out a little too far into a 1v1. Uh, I wasn't patient enough. This girl tries to chip me. 5-5, five, five, I come in, and I'm fully, like, I was like, man, I have to do something. I have to do something athletic because, you know, and I do get, like, a good tip on it, and it goes nice. over the crossbar. And that right. for me, because it, it was captured uh, in a picture. So I was like, man, that's doing stuff here, right? Yeah, um, that's a good pick right there. All yeah. right, how about, how about as a coach in your young career? Yeah, so um, there, there's a few that that come to mind, uh, specifically with this this Allegheny team that that I've really really enjoyed. I think one of the ones is is helping with the development side of some of the players and being able to see that translate. I know this is super super small, but it's it's something that sticks out of my mind and being like, man, what I'm doing and what I'm saying makes sense to the players. So I had uh, the opportunity to be in charge of scouting reports for other teams within our conference. So breaking down film and being able to showcase that to the team and what we're looking for in different patterns. So within that, um, we were scouting a team going into our senior game and I showed specific patterns, a specific subbing that this particular team does. And I was like, look, this player is going to step in and this is what she's going to do out of the middle and all this, this and that. And it was such a cool moment to be on the sideline and then have our bench that's to the left of me be so engaged in the game. They're like, oh, that's that's number 28. She's going to do this now that they subbed her in. I was like, let's go. <laughs> you yeah. know, like that's that's something that's so, so small. But like that's something I'll carry with me forever. I can tell you got a bright future because you really talk through your eyes as well. You got a ton of enthusiasm. I've really enjoyed this, Shelby. So that crystal ball picture I like to end with, you know, 10 years from now, do you have any idea where Shelby Spalding wants to be and what's to be doing? Oh, shoot. I want to be a head coach. 
Yeah. You know, living the dream, having my own program, um, instilling a lot of the beliefs that I have in the overall program, impacting lives, you know, having some amazing alumni that are still reaching out and inviting me to weddings and being a part of their lives still. That for me in 10 years, the idea of it tickles me to death. Speaking of uh, tickle to death, we'll end with this. I've been lucky enough to be around the women's game a long time. I was with the U.S. women before you were born when they won the first World Cup in China. And I covered the WSA, the W. WPS, now the NWSL. When you, you look at the state of women's soccer in our country as a former female player now coaching young women, how excited are you? I, again, tickled to death. Here's the thing. I'm a huge fan because growing up, it wasn't readily available to have that representation. It is so cool that we are able to have that opportunity to have that representation. I'm constantly advocating for the domestic league we have to my players. I'm like, it's it, it's awesome that you're watching the U.S. Women's National Team. That's amazing. But you can see some of these same players play in, in cities and towns that you can go to. That to me is huge. I, I'm, I'm also the person that in my cubicle, I have uh, actual player cards that they sold for the Challenge Cup. Yeah. I have like two decks of them just scattered That's around. That's what my... I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. I, want, I, want, I want them to see that. I want them to see like, look, look, we have it. It's available. Like, this is neat. So who's your favorite player and why? I have to say Bledsoe from Washington Spirit. Nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. She just, she's a brick wall. I, I like the way she plays. I like how she is between the post. Um, yeah. yeah. To me, she's reliable. Um, uh, I, I really like to look at her technique as well. To me, she's an exciting uh, goalkeeper that's that's getting some call up. Yeah, a goalkeeper's got to pick a goalkeeper, right, <laughs> Shelby Spalding? Yeah. Congrats <laughs> on all your success, and thanks for joining us on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by TeamSnap. A pleasure to meet you. Oh, thank you so much, Dean. Thank you, Shelby. I also want to thank Ian Barker and David Baird for kicking it off. And of course, Roy and Terry Gordon. Great visit with Roy Gordon. Congratulations, Roy and Terry, on establishing the Roy and Terry Gordon Fund. For Sean Chevro and Bailey Conklin and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches, as well as our producer, Colin Thrash, I'm Dean Linky. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by TeamSnap. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.